Hello, and welcome to another episode of Daily American Presses Chatting with Abby. It is Veterans Day, so happy Veterans Day. Thank you to everyone who served, everyone, anyone who's listening who is a veteran. Thank you so much for your service and for your sacrifice and um, everything that you have given to this country of your time, of your body, all of that. Thank you so much. Um, we are a nation who has never been very good at taking care of our war heroes, but is increasingly bad at um, not just respecting, but also helping to facilitate the healing of people who paid terrible costs uh, in, in protection of the United States. So thank you so much. I hope you had a good day today. I was fortunate to get the day off work, which is the first day off I've had in a while, and kind of spent a lazy day at home with my husband for most of the day, and then we went out to see the new Marvel movie, The Eternals. And The Eternals is the start of a new era of the Marvel Universe and introduces a whole bunch of new characters, a whole new storyline, and I really... I enjoyed it. I, I'd give it a 7 out of 10. There were some elements that I wasn't a huge fan of, but I, I really liked the fresh characters. I really liked an, a new feel. I liked how deep it went into kind of the past and, and mythology and things like that. I thought it was a pretty good film. So... If you like that sort of thing, I'd encourage you to get out and watch it. I know a lot of us have Marvel uh, fatigue, so if you're if you're just kind of done with the Marvel universe, I don't blame you if you don't want to see it. But I had a good time. So today on the show, I want to talk about the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. I want to talk about the media's reaction to it, Twitter's reaction to it, um, my personal reaction to it. Um. And then I want to talk a little bit about fatherlessness in our culture, and that should do it for tonight. So, Kyle Rittenhouse, if you don't know, back in the summer of 2020, uh, he was 17 years old. He was out on the street with an AR-15. His purpose for being out there in Kenosha County, uh, which was the community he worked in and the community his father lived in, but it wasn't really his community as far as his legal residence was elsewhere. It was in Antioch. But he felt like he was a part of the community and his stated purpose for being there that night was to protect his community and serve his community. So he was out there with his gun for self-defense and with medical supplies and firefighting supplies. So he... He wasn't a firefighter or an EMT. Uh, he did admit to having lied about being an EMT, but he, he did have a pretty significant amount of first aid training. He'd been a lifeguard, um, and then he had a certain amount of fire training, even though he hadn't received a full fire certification. And I understand if you have a certain amount of first aid, it's easier to just say, I'm an EMT, even though that's not technically true. Um, if you're just trying to fire off an answer real quick as to what you're doing with a med bag. So I get it. I, I think I would probably <laughs> say that same lie if I was in that position. Doesn't make it right, but 
I get it. Um, so he was out there with his gun and his medical supplies, putting out little fires, uh, trying to guard a business, which he had met the owners of that night. Um, and he and a group of people were trying to guard that business property. One of the buildings of that business had burned down the previous night. So they were all there trying to trying to protect their community, ostensibly. So the very first thing that kind of comes to mind outside of any type of criminal, you know, I'm not, I'm not really up on the (laughs) ins and outs of Wisconsin law, but the first thing that comes to mind is why is a 17 year old boy uh, running around with an AR-15 in the middle of of a riot? Um, Who, who thought that was a good idea? Where are his parents? Um, that's not a wise thing to do. Now, that's not a criminal thing to do. You're you're perfectly free to run around with an AR-15. Um, he he wasn't old enough to own the gun legally, but he was allowed to have it. So he's not being charged uh, for possession of that weapon since the law is gray in that area. Technically, his his friend owned that gun and had just lent it to him for that night. Um be that as it may, he's not being charged for it. So that's kind of a moot point. But that isn't, isn't wise to put yourself in a position like that out in the middle of a riot, uh, carrying an AR-15 that you send a certain type of message, uh, that you're hostile and you may you may be treated as such. There's a way that even just bringing a gun or a knife to a situation can escalate it just by its presence there. And that doesn't mean you don't have a right to have a gun. That doesn't mean it's not necessarily a good idea to have some way to defend yourself, but it's a complex situation. And I wish that someone had been there with Kyle who could have told him, eh, if your goal is to help people, maybe lose the gun. But I'm sure people listening to this will say, well, Abby, if he didn't have the gun, he'd be dead right now. So, and then we don't know. We really don't know. But I do think that one of the takeaways from this trial has to be what, what is a wise handling of a gun? Yes, we have the right to have it. Absolutely. And I understand the desire to kind of flaunt your weapon and and show off your your um, exercise of the Second Amendment, and I also understand showing the weapon in the context of a deterrent um, while they were guarding that property, or just a deterrent for attacking your person. But obviously, Kyle's weapon didn't deter people from attacking him. It's, his weapon seemed to be what inspired people to attack him, uh, in my personal opinion. So that's just something to to think about and talk about with regard to gun safety. But that night, Kyle had his gun and he ended up being attacked um, by a a young man named Mr. Rosenbaum. uh, White man, by the way. Uh, Child rapist, serial child rapist, by the way. Um ran up to him, grabbed his gun, and Kyle shot him four times, and he died. 
at which point Kyle decided to turn himself into the police. So he went off down the street to try to find police to turn himself into. Police were stretched very, very thin that night. And on his way to try to turn himself in, he was attacked again by another group of people who uh, tried to kick him in the face, tried to hit him with a skateboard, did hit him, did hit him a couple times. And uh, the video footage shows that from the ground as they're attacking him, he fires uh, a couple more shots, one and kills one additional person whose name I don't remember and wounds another person, Mr. Gage, I believe. At which point he continues to turn himself into the police. Um, horrible, horrible situation. You, The last thing that you want is to end up in a situation where you have to shoot somebody to save your life. That's... I hear a lot of people in person and on Twitter with a lot of bluster about what they'd do and how they'd fuck somebody up or how they'd, you know, defend their property and this and that. But ultimately, taking a human life is 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 hard and it leaves a mark on your soul. Um, people who fought overseas, people who who fought in war will tell you the same thing that that killing people hurts you, even when you have a hundred percent of a right to do it. It's a difficult thing, and Kyle's going to have to live with that for the rest of his life. So he turned himself in, and then his case, because of the context of the protests and the riots and George Floyd's murder and all of these things, murder, killing, eh, it was ruled a murder, so I'm going to call it a murder, but that is debatable. Because of the context, uh, Kyle's situation was incredibly politicized. And uh, people just decided with very, very little information um, that Kyle was a murderer, straight up. That he shouldn't have been there and that he was a murderer and they didn't really care and still don't to this day care about hearing any more details, seeing any footage, finding out anything further about it. The number of people who refused to watch the trial refuse to do any research into the actual facts of the case, who will still go around insisting, yelling that Kyle is a murderer and deserves to rot in prison, um, is astounding to me. Because to me, it's very, very difficult to actually watch the trial and come to the conclusion that Kyle is a murderer. From the very beginning, the prosecution, the prosecution started the trial as the prosecution does, presenting their case against Kyle. Kyle hadn't even testified. The defense hadn't even gotten up to begin the defense before it was clear that there was no case against Kyle. And the mainstream media will not report that, right? People who get their information from the mainstream media are going to continue to believe that Kyle is a murderer, and they're going to be really shocked when he probably gets acquitted. Um, and that's, that's rough. This is just another example of the way that the mainstream media absolutely twists the truth, if not outright lies, to further political ends. And right now, Kyle is, Kyle's case is not about Kyle. Kyle's case is not about a kid who did or did not defend himself on the street somewhere. Kyle's case is about the politics of racism and the politics of the BLM 
protests and riots and the politics of gun ownership and and all of these things all of these things are on trial along with Kyle which makes the situation a lot tougher and Kyle represents an idea that 40% perhaps of this country hates like really really hates and you can see that hatred everywhere in how people have been reacting to clips that have come out of Kyle breaking down on the stand as he's testifying. Now, this kid this, today is 18 years old. He, it's clear from his testimony that he has a heart to help his community. He has that kind of sheepdog personality. Uh, if you don't know what I mean by that, I mean the kind of people who want to be firefighters, the kind of people who want to be EMTs, to be police officers, to help people, the kind of people who are our leaders in the, the hero types. And you see that in Kyle that night as he's running around in his primary objective that night, which he proved time and time again. And even a couple days before when he was washing graffiti, he had already up until in those 17 years of life had already lived a life of, of serving his community, of giving time to his community, washing graffiti off of a high school a couple days before the incident. That night, running around, treating a lot of people for minor injuries, putting out several small fires. And Kyle himself will admit that his gun got in the way. That the fact that he was carrying a big AR-15 made it more difficult for him to help people. And I think that that's something to take away from this. That while... It's not a criminal thing that he had a gun. It probably would have been better for him had he not had it. Had he had something smaller to defend himself with, pepper spray, a knife, something like that, a smaller gun if he could have gotten his hands on one. But the AR-15 was really in his way. The AR-15 was a little bit of his enemy that night as he was trying to help people. But I feel for Kyle as somebody who really does care about human life, it seems, and really does care about his community to now have to live with having killed two people. And he really, uh, he, he was very calm on the sta stage. I would strongly encourage you to watch the whole trial. If, but if you can't watch the whole trial, try to get uh, some time to watch at least part of Kyle's testimony. He's very calm throughout most of it sharing just matter-of-factly what happened, doing his best to recall as many details as possible to help paint the picture of that night. But when he got to the point where he had to start talking about the first attack and the first shots he fired, he has a panic attack is what I would, what I would call it. There's a lot of people who have called into question the genuineness of his emotion and I think part of it is because they don't necessarily recognize a panic attack when they see one. It it's it doesn't look quite right for crying because it's not crying. Um, he's he's panicking. He's he's struggling to breathe. He's struggling to hold on to himself. Yes, there are some tears involved, but that's exactly <laughs> what I look like when I'm having a panic attack. Maybe not exactly. I like to think I don't look quite that bad when I'm having a panic attack, but. I really felt for him and in that clip really it made me cry because 
imagine being him and being in such a hostile environment where you know people will want you to rot in jail for this and having to relive the most traumatic moment of your life trying to explain what happened and try to justify your actions in uh in defending yourself and in trying to save your own life and Kyle truly does believe that he would have died had he not fired those shots and I think that he's right he he would have died had he not fired those shots I personally think that he also wouldn't have died had he not had the gun at all because I don't think he would have been attacked but that's just conjecture and has no real bearing on the case because he had a right to have the gun so oh who knows what'll happen it seems pretty clear to anybody who's actually watching the case actually watching the trial actually looking at the evidence actually watching the video uh coming into it with an open mind and having not already decided they know what happened seems pretty clear that he deserves to be acquitted on the grounds of self-defense however I also didn't think that Derek Chauvin deserved to get more than manslaughter I, th- I thought he probably needed to get manslaughter um even that, even that is debatable. I've heard cases against him getting it charged at all and then said he should have walked free, but I I thought he would just get manslaughter, but they gave him all three counts. Um, Derek Chauvin went down for all three counts of murder. So it's unclear whether Kyle, even if he deserves to be acquitted, will be acquitted. I hope and pray that he will be. Because um, I, I do think he deserves to be. But if that happens, if he is acquitted, I think we can expect more protests and riots and more unrest. Um, I think the only possible saving grace is that it's not summer. It is getting colder out. And so it's not going to be as much riot weather by the time we get to the end of this trial and and the ruling. So we will see what happens. I think... I do think it's really interesting how the prosecution has been acting in this case. You may have seen clips online of the judge in this case really throwing the book at at the prosecution, really um, even raising his voice and yelling at the at the prosecuting attorney, Mr. Winger, a few times because this prosecuting attorney, despite being uh, an experienced attorney has crossed some lines, some really obvious lines, and broken some really basic rules in his case against Kyle. And it really looks like, and the judge has communicated this, it really looks like he's operating in bad faith. That he knows exactly what he's doing, he knows exactly why it's wrong, but he's doing it because he thinks he can get away with it. He's doing it because he thinks he can get away with it because he believes that the public is on his side because this is such a politicized trial. So the defense has already moved for a mistrial and we're going to see what happens with that. I don't think that it'll come down to that. I think that the judge knows that it really needs to to play out. Uh, for political reasons, but 
it's really scary to watch our, our justice system break down. And, and we've seen cracks in our justice system for a long time in various ways. But it is scary to see in both the Chauvin trial and this one where the prosecution has just acted and really violated the defendant's rights in the way that they have pursued their case. So I am not enough of a... I'm not aware enough of the law to be able to explain it more than that. But if you watch Kyle's testimony, you'll see those interactions with the judge and the prosecuting attorney. And they're very interesting. Now, I want to pivot a little bit away from the trial to fatherlessness. I had mentioned that I didn't think Kyle should have been out on the street with a gun that night. And that's, that's something that, that your parents, your father would help you see in, in what context it's, it's a good idea to carry a gun, uh, to openly carry a gun, to openly carry a very big gun like that. And, and Kyle's mother and father are divorced, and Kyle's father is nowhere to be found in this story other than just knowing that he lives in Kenosha. And it's sad that I think Kyle is a good kid, and in a lot of ways he reminds me of a lot of my husband, um, but it doesn't seem like he had somebody who could have told him that what he was about to do was a bad idea, was dangerous, could get him in in some sort of trouble, whether it was just, just danger or, or trouble. And, and that's really sad. And I think that we see this across our nation. We see more and more kids, whether it's legal trouble or it's, um, gender identity and confusion, sexual identity, confusion. We see the effects of fatherlessness and broken homes and broken families across our nation. And, it's easy to make fun of some of these people, particularly the ones that are just really flagrantly into the weird gender stuff um, and using all sorts of strange pronouns and made up things. It's, it's easy to make fun of them, but I want you to consider what it takes to break a generation like that to produce a generation of kids that is that broken. And I see so many older people just blaming social media and then kind of walking away satisfied with that explanation. And I'm not satisfied with that explanation. Social media has heard a lot of things and it's it's not the best influence in a lot of ways, but it also creates a lot of good. It's it's a double-edged sword, but it it's not something that has created the pandemic of of trans and non-binary kids. Kids who are confused about their gender and sexual orientation and sexual expression have have brokenness, have trauma in those areas. I think it's fair to say that a huge percentage of those kids have been sexually abused, sexually assaulted, at least verbally, um, verbally sexually abused in some way. 
um, taught really horrible things, not necessarily just in school, but also at home, and also just surrounded by similarly broken kids who are all trying to find their way, trying to find some sort of an identity, desperately trying to feel okay in their own skin. And people who, I mean, the instinct of someone who hasn't been, hasn't experienced some sort of, of sexual trauma is just to be themselves, just to be a woman, just to be a man. You have to do something pretty severe in that person's life to make them question those basic facts about themselves, to make them question their basic biology and their basic genetic makeup. And I would encourage significantly more compassion in those situations. If we have a whole generation of really broken kids And it's not going to help just to make fun of them. It's not going to help to just throw up our hands and be like, what is with all these really, really confused, really, really crazy people? Like, we're not going to be able to help them or reach them if we don't have compassion and love for them. And if we don't have a plan forward to help them find their way again. We need more good people in society. We need more good parents We need more good teachers. We need more good role models. And without that, even if we're able to save the nation for one more generation, we're just going to lose it in the next. And that's not a slam on young people. That's the people who are raising the young people are responsible for creating a generation who is able to to inhabit and lead a good nation and to be good citizens. And with each generation, I see more and more brokenness and uh, more and more desperate situations and kids who have no idea who they are and no idea how to feel okay, no idea how to function, and instead are just racked with depression and anxiety and, and identity confusion of all types. And it's really, really sad. I don't have any answer for it. I I know that God, I know that our nation needs God, and uh, I don't think there's a way forward without God. I don't think that there's a way to, to save this nation without God. So I'll leave you that to think on. Uh, you have a good night, and I will see you on Twitter and see you next week on the podcast. Bye. <laughs>